Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. I'll never forget one particular part of a wonderful and absorbing chat we had with Oxford University Professor John Lennox on Open House last year. That delightful Irishman, a professor in mathematics, is also one of the leading debaters worldwide with the so-called new atheists. But he acknowledged one question that was always the most difficult, the hardest question of all, he said. Suffering. My next guest has some insights and answers on what he calls the predictable surprise of Christian suffering. He's written a book called Suffering Well. How is that possible? If only it was. Let's see. Paul Grimm and welcome to Open House. Thanks, Lee. Great to see you. How is it that Christian suffering can be both predictable and a surprise? Well, I mean, I think on the the one hand, um, the Bible tells us as Christians to expect to suffer because we follow Jesus. So he was a guy who came and lived in the world, and because he did good things and right things, some people didn't like him, uh, and so he suffered and experienced persecution. And the Bible says to Christians, um, if you know him and you want to live for him, then you're going to experience suffering at times just like he did. But there's much more suffering beyond that. I mean, it's just oh, look, life generally. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's not just that, but the reality that... So Christians, if you like, experience a bit of a double whammy, I think, in terms of suffering. Excellent. So we live... <laughs> yeah, it's awful, isn't it? So we live in a world that's broken and uncomfortable, and people suffer in so many different ways... And then the Bible also says, if you belong to Jesus, then living for him, sometimes people won't like the way you live your life and people will tease you or ridicule you or whatever for that as well. You conducted your own kind of mini survey of Christian suffering. How did that strike you when you got a lot of responses back? We sent out a survey uh, online to people all around the globe and we got back nearly a thousand responses. Uh, And I guess I, I won't forget quickly the process of reading through those, one of the questions we asked were, what are some of the worst experiences of suffering that you've had in your life? Uh, and, and there was page after page, but people had kind of put it down in dot points. Mm. And there was this kind of poignant kind of reality. You would read just this dot point. You know, my mother died when I was five and uh, my grandmother passed away when I was eight. And then I became sick when I was 12 with an illness that's then lasted the next 30 years. Yeah. And they're just these dot points down the page or um, I was sexually abused when I was young. And then my uh, father, who was my sole carer, passed away. And then um, even now I'm dealing with and dot points on a page, page after page after page. And yet each one of those represents somebody's life and an enormous suffering. So huge. So how do we deal with it? I found it interesting a decade ago, you were at a pastor's training conference about connecting young people with Christian faith, all the usual answers, and then one that surprised everyone from a former missionary from Argentina. What did they say? Yeah, uh, we were just talking about what are, what are basic things that you want people to understand about living as a Christian. And, uh, and uh, I remember her saying very clearly, I want to teach people to suffer. And uh, at the t- <laughs> at the time... I was kind of, oh, gee, that's a bit surprising. It's a bit out of left field. It was a bit out of left field. And yet, in hindsight, uh, probably one of the most significant answers to come out of that day. I'm sure that's true. John Wesley put it like this, our people, Christian people, die well. What did he mean by that? Uh, I think he meant that uh, Christians live 
in a world where they know that this life is not all that there is. The way that we experience life in the here and now, this isn't the sum total. In fact, it's not even the best bit about what is in store for us. And so, I mean, Wesley lived in a world that didn't have antibiotics and things like ours. And so many people actually died at a much younger age than people in our world die. Um, And yet he described his people as so knowing that there was something good beyond this life, that they could actually face death without sheer terror or without the thought that this is the end of my existence or whatever. Mm. And so his people would actually know that they were dying and yet continue to just be clear and wonderful people who loved the people around them and loved God uh, in remarkable ways. And die well, as he said, or suffer well, as you say. Yeah. Your approach is interesting. You trace some of the development of how we think in this day and age, which eventually relates to suffering, and you begin with Carl Sagan and Johannes Kepler. What do they say, and how have they made a difference to how we think? Yeah, I mean, so Carl Sagan in particular is just a a representative, really, of a string of people who maybe over the last 50 to 100 years um, have kind of come out and kept telling us over and over again that um, the, the only way to get in touch with the world is actually to get rid of the divine, get rid of any thought of God, and just engage with what I can see and what I can touch and what I can taste and what I can handle and hear. Um, and I guess in a way that's kind of the scientific world view that pervades much of our society. Uh, and, and their story really is that I can make sense of everything without God being there. So how does that apply to suffering? One of the particular issues for me as I've looked at that story is I now live in a world where people think, if they think anything about suffering, is that it has become... Uh, not not a challenge to us or a question about our existence and our mortality, but it's rather an issue of, is God actually there? If this world is painful and broken, then suffering becomes a piece of evidence that suggests God just isn't there. He's not in the picture. And so you're safe to throw him away and live without him. And therefore, life is all about milking the best things that you can get, whatever pleasure you can get, because this life is all there is. And following on from that is what you call individual morality. In fact, the avoidance of suffering is now the basis of our morality. In a world without God, uh, where right and wrong is a decision that is an individual decision, we still live in a community where I need to work out how to get along with my neighbor and so I can't just have my own right and wrong and you have your right and wrong even though we believe that at one level as a community being able to live together we still need to have some sort of absolutes Mm. and how do you define those absolutes I think in the age where God has been thrown away the absolutes are all defined in terms of suffering in some description or another so euthanasia might be a classic example in our society at the moment Um, if someone suffers they must be allowed to have the right to end their own life. Uh, and that's what's most important of all. Uh, and so suffering defines what right and wrong is. If I say anything that makes you upset, then that must be wrong automatically. Um, yeah. I say this respectfully, but it is a ridiculous notion to spend your life worrying about avoiding suffering. I mean, that's just not real. Well, I, th- I think it is actually unreal. Um, and yet... 
Um, it's interesting. So I have the the great fun job of working at over at the University of New South Wales, and so I see thousands and thousands of young people come onto the campus every year, and really their life is about the pursuit of pleasure, in one form, shape, or another. But the pursuit of pleasure doesn't give your character any substance to deal with the realities of life. I don't know anybody, if I've spoken to them about what's really happened in their life, who hasn't experienced very great suffering. So you can live for pleasure, but the suffering will come. Mind you, who'd blame them for living for pleasure? It's the escape, isn't it? It's suffering so bad, I've got nothing to say about it, and it's the way that I escape, and so I seek more and more pleasure. In a sense, it's almost like anaesthetics for the soul. I'm trying to dull the pain. Eat, drink, and be merry. So we ask hard questions about God because, you know, we do say that God is a good God and he's sovereign or in control. But you also say it's important that we ask questions of ourselves about this. What kind of questions do we ask ourselves to satisfy? When you read through the Bible, um, what it keeps saying is the existence of suffering in our world is actually the result of our rebellion, or what the Bible, I guess, calls sin, but that human beings live selfishly. We live in the rejection of God. We live um, in relationships which sometimes look good and at other times are really deep and painful. And the Bible says that the existence of pain is actually a reminder that we are finite, that we're small, that we make mistakes, and that we actually need help, I think. Is that a satisfying answer, do you think? To a person without faith, it seems like you're blaming them or God's blaming them for suffering. Yes, I think that that's true. Although we have to be careful about how we articulate that. So the Bible is very clear that not every individual piece of suffering is the result of that particular person's wrongdoing. There's a, there's a famous story, Jesus... Uh, encounters a man who's been born blind and the people around about him go, gee, he must have done something wrong. And Jesus said, no, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's just part of a world that is groaning, if you like, under the brokenness of what we as a race do and how we live our lives in the world. Yeah, it's an important point to make. On Open House, we're with author Paul Grimmond, who's written this book, Suffering Well. Paul, you do a lot of good work delving into the Bible to look at this question. Can I pick up one example from each of the New and Old Testaments. First, Job, yep. the great story of suffering. We learn a lot about him, about it, and how to cope with it. Terrible suffering. What are the lessons? Uh, one of the remarkable lessons for Job, uh, I actually remember somebody else explaining to this to me many years ago. Um, Job begins with this kind of insight into heaven. Uh, and uh, you've met Job, who is this remarkably good man. And he loves God and he wants to do the right thing in God's world. But Satan enters into heaven and says to God, you know, Job, he just likes you because you look after him and take away the good stuff in his life and he'll turn around and curse you. And God says, well, okay, have a crack, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be flippant about that because what Satan actually does is he takes away his children and he takes away his possessions and he takes away his health. And much of the rest of the book is this deep question. Job kind of says, I don't think I've done anything wrong, but life hurts and I want to meet God. I want to ask him questions about this. I want to speak to him face to face. His friends who think that they're helping him out say, Job, you must have done something wrong. You yeah. must have failed. You must have suffered. And they end up being uh, miserable comforters. Yep. But 
towards the end of the book, Job himself actually does meet God face to face. And when he meets God face to face, he encounters someone who is just infinitely bigger than he is. The God who set the world in motion, who holds the seas and the skies and the birds and the animals in his hands. The God who is doing things in all places at all times in a way that our little minds just can never really wrap their heads around. But after Job encounters God, he doesn't receive all the answers to all of his questions. He doesn't know what happened between Satan and Job back there at the beginning. Uh, God doesn't explain to him the details of exactly what's happened. But he meets God and Job suddenly knows there is somebody who has everything in his hands. And because he is big and good, I know that things will be okay. It's a big exercise of faith. It's an enormous exercise of faith. Yeah. You mentioned it, and I was going to make the point that for those who are alongside those who are suffering, Job is also a very good lesson in how to do that. The comforters do their best with him when they just sit with him and basically shut up, and worst with him when they're try to impose their own muddle-headed views on why he's going through this. It's so They true. don't know. They don't know. Job doesn't know. They're effectively and blaming him for it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. In the New Testament, you look at the Apostle Paul, who in a similar kind of way to Job, concludes that God is God and we are not, basically, which I must say might be a nice, neat answer that still completely avoids the question of suffering. Yes, in a sense it is, isn't it? So you could say God is God and we are not. Um, And as uh, one young man that I met at the uni a number of years ago now said to me, he said, well, I can kind of get that that might be true, and I understand it all, but how is God any different from the playground bully, effectively? If God is God and I am not, and he's big and he does whatever he likes, then how do you know he's good and not evil? How do you know that he's not saying that black's white and white's black? Good question. Yeah. And, And how do you answer that? Well, uh, uh, in the book, I kind of delve in. I think there are two big ideas that we see all through the Bible about the character of God. Um, One of them is that he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He doesn't change from season to season and from day to day. There is a kind of consistency about him. He's not kind of... He's not like my, uh, well, anyone who has toddlers or young children will know, who wake up one morning and this this is what I want for breakfast and this is great. The next morning, this is the most terrible thing in the world and I throw it on the floor. And not a few adults too. (laughs) Well, quite. (laughs) Um, God's not like that. He he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and doesn't change. Uh, But the bigger thing I think about that is that He displays the consistency of his character over and over again in the Bible, but most particularly, I think, in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus steps into this world, the Bible teaches us that's actually God himself, God the Son, come to be with us. And moreover, God knew that Jesus was coming from the very beginning before he set any of this created world in order. Uh, And I think that that teaches us at least one very significant thing, which is that God himself knew in this world that he was creating where suffering would have a purpose and a place, even he himself would experience and be subjected to the suffering of life in our world. Yes. Uh, And I just think that's quite remarkable. It doesn't answer everything. 
God doesn't explain in detail exactly why or how, but we see that suffering was necessary for God's Son himself to become the perfect glorified one who would save us and care for us and bring about a new world. And so suffering, it seems, does something in our world that is beyond our ability to express but God says there is actually a wonderful good that comes from suffering. And in the midst of our suffering, we can know that he knows what it's like. Absolutely. It's not a surprise to him. Um, Hebrews uses this description of Jesus as a high priest who's experienced all that we experience, and he sympathizes with us. It's not like, not like God stands up there going, well, you've got to go through it all and I'll stand off here. Hebrews suggests that he's even suffered in a way that none of the rest of us have. He knows oh, what too. it is like for us, yeah. and he cares for us. So do you think you have to suffer before you truly know about these questions? It's one thing to deal with them theoretically, but to truly know what we're dealing with, do we need to take the journey too? In my own experience, and in my experience uh, of pastoring many people through different things in life, it seems to me that it's one thing to have these thoughts and ideas in our heads, but it's another to actually work out how to trust God and to accept what comes from his hand and to live through it. Yeah. And so you can know all of the theory, uh, but in a sense you also need God to walk with you through those deep, dark places in order to really grasp and understand the richness and the goodness of what God tells us about suffering in the Bible. You say there are three keys to suffering well. Praising God which might seem hard sometimes in the midst of the suffering, doing good and waiting patiently. Take us through quickly each one of those. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, one of the remarkable things in the Bible is that even people in the face of great suffering stop and say, I know what God's like and I'm going to say that he is good and tell people around about me that he's good even when I can't see all of the bits and pieces of the goodness. It's not living in and denial. It's not living in denial. Um, so the Apostle Paul, when he's in prison and cha in chains, uh, and potentially his life is under threat, still sings psalms and hymns and songs of praise, partly because he knows the God who raises the dead, that this is not all that there is. Mm. Um, the second thing is that the Bible encourages us, I think, and encourages God's people to, to do good when they experience difficulty. And so rather than becoming kind of self-absorbed, um, which is part of it, like it's very difficult to avoid and totally. I've been there as well and totally. so I don't want to, but the Bible keeps calling us out of ourselves and to say Jesus out of love for other people went through what he went through and kept being concerned for them and so one of the things that we had to do in response to suffering is just to keep trying to do good and to love the people around us and not become totally self-absorbed in that process. And so finally, um, the Bible encourages us to, in a sense, to wait patiently. Now, that is uh, Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, or the, the New Testament, the apostles, over and over again, what they say to us is, yes, this world is broken, and it's going to be painful, and actually it might be painful even as you enjoy bits of it each and every day until Jesus comes back or until you go to the grave. Uh, but it's okay to wait, because while you can't fix everything up and justice doesn't happen in your time, there is a moment when God is going to take all the bits of the fabric and weave it together and create a picture and a new world 
which is beyond anything that we can imagine. And you've known the reality of this beyond the theory. For me personally, um, the struggle has been very much with anxiety and depression. Uh, I've experienced various symptoms of that on and off since I was kind of in my early 20s. Um, at one stage, uh, I ended up resigning from my job uh, as a pastor of a church and in a ministry because I'd just gotten to the point where I was completely overwhelmed personally. Uh, I remember having times just being curled up in a ball on the floor while my wife prayed with me and told me that things were going to be okay. In hindsight, I think, those moments were actually some of the most precious gifts that God has ever given me. And the reason is that I realized when I got to the point of being willing to give up my job, I worked out again that who I was as a person and my identity wasn't just tied up with what I do and how I perform this task or that task, but it actually it's who I am as someone that God loves. Mm. Uh, and I'm still wrestling through that and I get that right and wrong on a day-to-day basis. But I think that suffering has actually taught me much more about what it means to know God and to live for him than all of the good times combined. Paul Grimmett, it's been a very important conversation to have and a very important insight and book, Suffering Well, The Predictable Surprise of Christian Suffering by Paul Grimmett. Thanks so much for joining us on Open House. Lee, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.